based on my search, I think my family relocated to this office. Will you provide me with any information that you have about them so that I can find them? And I think she started crying. She gave me everything. And to receive a fax like that, it was like the first picture I ever saw of my mom. You're listening to the podcast, Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. It's hard to believe that we are already more than halfway through 2021 and coming to the end of season four of the show. This season was about the search. Whether it be metaphorical or physical, our guests have shared very personal journeys in search for that missing link. And some have found closures while others are still searching. It brings me great joy to end this season on a high note, a story that will remind us all to never give up hope. I'm Amerasian, so I'm 50% Finnish on my father's side and 49% Southeast Asian Vietnamese on my mother's side. I was born in Vietnam, Saigon, in 1970 and adopted into America in 1974, free baby list. I was introduced to Trista Goldberg by a mutual friend who is also a Vietnamese adoptee. And in his journey of searching for his biological parents, he found solace when he met Trista and learned about her nonprofit organization, Operation Reunite. 1999, I reached out to a DNA company to find out more about DNA. And I spoke with this marketing guy and he had an interest in history. So he was like, we don't have the proper DNA that you would need to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And then through the years, we've always kept in touch. And that gentleman eventually became the CEO of Family Tree DNA. And in 2005, we launched a project called Operation DNA, which the Vietnamese adopt data group for the autosomal DNA testing. During the war, Trista's mom had placed her and her siblings in a local orphanage that could help care for them. This was not uncommon as living conditions grew harder and parents struggled to provide adequate care for their children. Trista and her younger brother were placed in foster care with another family in Vietnam. And one day when their mother came to visit, she was told they had been adopted. They were afraid my mom would change her mind. At that point, then they said, well, she's gone. So then there was less of a liability of her changing her mind. I was still in Vietnam, but I had no contact with my birth mother at that point. Another family in Vietnam cared for me, not just me, but my younger brother, who was scheduled to be adopted with me uh, and goes to the United States. Trista was adopted at the age of four in 1974 through Holt International, a faith-based humanitarian nonprofit known for international adoption and child welfare. She was escorted from Vietnam to Hawaii 
and then to Pennsylvania to meet her new family. I believe my father made the arrangements, but one of the conditions was that they were not allowed to separate my brother and I. My adopted mother couldn't afford to take on two more children because she had two natural children of her own. So when she was notified by the adoption agency, look, you know, the, the adoption is not going to process unless she takes both the children because they're brother and sister and they can't be separated. My mother talked to my aunt. I guess my mom talked her into it. So when we were brought over, I came first because my paperwork went through faster than my brother's. Later on, my brother was placed into my aunt's family. We knew that we were brother and sister, just that then we had a different kind of relationship. We grew up as cousins, but it's better than not having a brother. Her new family was very loving. Her father was a police officer, and her mother cared for the children. And she remembers both her older siblings, Tracy and Trevor, welcoming her with open arms. She was renamed from Wing Taito to Trista. The first phrase that I kept repeating over and over to my adoptive mother before I went to bed was in Vietnamese that said, should I pray to God now? And she never knew what that meant <laughs> until she had it translated, you know. Uh, and then it dawned on her. I came from, you know, a, a religious background that, you know, I was taught to do that. At home, Trista always felt welcomed. But in school, she felt differently. Once I went to school, that was when it started to become apparent that I didn't belong. With my complexion and my looks, you know, I can kind of integrate into society. If you ever met me, they wonder if I'm like French or Mexican or Spanish. You know, I can fit into any group. And when you're growing up as a child, not even if you're adopted or not, you just want to be accepted. So um, it wasn't terrible, but at the same time, it wasn't easy. And a lot of things that you would question or, you know, blame to anyone. They couldn't even identify with it. There's different tendencies in, in children. I became the people pleaser, you know, helped around the house, did all the laundry, yada, 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 so that I wouldn't be, you know, rejected. My brother, he did the opposite. He was like the black sheep of the family. He got into trouble. <laughs> You know, but everybody acts out differently. And I guess it's, you know, whatever your coping, your temperament is, you know, how you deal with your situation when you can't explain it. It was around the age of 10 when Trista was shown her adoption papers and her mother tried to explain her history. Just to look at those adoption papers made me cry. As you get older, you start to like start questioning, but in the beginning, you don't know. That takes more of like into your adult years to be able to get to that point. When I was approaching 30, I was about to get married, I was engaged, so I'm thinking about having a family, and then you start thinking, okay, well, oh my gosh, what kind of like things do I have to worry about? You know, as far as my children, passing those genes down to my children. And then, of course, most adoptees are like, I don't know. Then it triggers you to ask additional questions. In the late 1990s, right around the time when the internet was just emerging, 
Trista grew more motivated to explore her Vietnamese history. I remember it was like 2,400 bytes per minute, and it was the slowest internet that you could ever like imagine. It was like magic. At the tips of your fingers, I could explore what does Vietnam look like, you know, and just start like Googling maps, you know, like what kind of houses do they live in? Just like little things that you just never knew until the internet came out. Trista and her younger brother grew apart over the years, and then one day he reached out to her with the desire to look for their biological family. And he mentioned to me that he was interested in searching and finding our family. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you get your you know, act straight and I'll go search. I was already integrated into the internet and understanding of the network for Vietnamese adoptees through Yahoo chat groups. I mean, the first organization that came out was VAN, Vietnamese Adoptees Network. They were based in the United States, but there was other organizations like in Australia, you know, so I'm friends with all the people. So, you know, through our life and our journey, I started Operation Reunite because through my search, I understood that there wasn't a lot of support and understanding about the search process and providing the different support systems to have in place if you go on that path. I had my adoption file since I was probably eight or 10 years old. It was like opening Pandora's box. Like I didn't know what to do, how to start. And then I think I messaged my friend, her chat group, ABI in Australia, and said, hey, this is it. <laughs> I'm making this decision. I'm going to find my birth family. If anyone can help me, great. And to my surprise, like everybody was like, yeah. And I was like, wow, my gosh, these are like people I've never met on the internet. And they're like, they're willing to like go travel to Vietnam for me or do this. I'm like, this is crazy. So when um, I searched, I did a variety of different searches. I did it through the adoption agency, which came up with nothing. Sometime around the early 1980s, Trista's adopted family had also sponsored her foster parents back in Vietnam, and she had stayed in touch with them over the years. Her foster father had a brother in Vietnam who they had reached out to to help her begin a search. So I gave him my information to send to his brother, and then he uh, would go back to the addresses that I had in my adoption file. And he was the one that was very influential in building the trust of the people in Vietnam instead of just knocking on the door and just being like robotic. Do you know XYZ? Okay, bye. He would have tea with them, he would have conversations. And then as the, you know, like the neighbors got to know them, they they were like more open and then they were like, Oh yeah, the girl down the street used to write letters to my oldest brother and when they moved to Lansing, Michigan. At that time, she was living in Orange County, California, and had enrolled herself in a local course to learn Vietnamese. As she became friends with the other students, she would ask questions about how they immigrated or resettled to America. She knew nothing about the process, but she wanted to learn. 
you know, you know, the first day of class, everybody goes around and says why they're there and, you know, what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, I got to understand that, oh, I'm, you know, just trying to improve my, you know, northern dialect or I'm, I can speak it, but I don't write it as well. And then when they came to me, I was like, oh, I'm just trying to find my mom. <laughs> You know, I don't know. I usually I wouldn't have been so free to say that, but then I just started crying, and then pretty much everybody in the class, including the teacher, they became my translators, my support. Everybody was really part of my search because when I was actually physically searching with paperwork that I had, my adopted father was an investigator. So when you know I ran into roadblocks finding a physical trail of somebody that migrated from Vietnam to the United States. He actually provided me with direction and guidance in how to find them using bits of information I had. I could not have done that without him. And then as the process went on, I get tidbits of information, tidbits of information, and then compiling it all from different avenues of my searches. I knew my mother's full name, and I knew my brother's full name. That's it. But I had a picture of my brother. I did not have a picture of my mother. So then I researched, you know, resettlement offices throughout the United States, and then found an office in Lansing, Michigan. (laughs) So I contacted the uh, director and explained my situation, and she said to me, oh my gosh, I've never had this kind of situation before. How can you prove that you're who you say you are? So I, you know, factor over my Vietnamese birth certificate for verification. And, you know, most adoptees don't even have that. I was, you know, lucky enough to have that. The next morning, I think it was like 5 a.m. or something, she, I get the fax. Through. And this is like back in the day when there's fax machines. The first picture that I saw of my mother comes through as a fax, and then more and more of my other siblings. And one by one, I had their file. Trista learned that she has four older siblings and that her biological family made it to America through the Amerasian Homecoming Act. This was passed by Congress and implemented in 1989 to give preferential immigration status to children in Vietnam who were born of U.S. fathers or mothers. The act also allowed the Amerasian children and their immediate relatives to enter the United States to resettle. When I called him, you know, I did my normal feel like I'm searching for a woman that was born, like, specific information that I would only know and that they would have to verify. (laughs) And even before I was able to like finish my phrase, he's like, to call mom now. And he gave me her telephone number. And I'm driving, I'm thinking, what? (laughs) How do you you know it was my name? So at that point, you know, I'm about to get into an accident or something, you know, <laughs> driving to work. So I pull up to the side, I write down her number, and he hangs up. So I guess he must have called her while I'm like, you know, just getting myself together. And then I called, 
and my mom gets on the phone and she yet yeah, there's something in Vietnamese I don't understand and then all of a sudden I hear it thump. I'm like what's that someone else picks up the phone and my sister said oh mom just fainted she'll be okay though <laughs> Did you get the information from the resettlement office? Yes. Wow. I had to go through a couple of different hierarchies. I mean, it's a small office, but still, you know, people are not going to give you information until you explain your whole story to them. You know, and then eventually I got to the director and I guess she believed me. At first they were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, no, but based on my search, I think my family relocated to this office. Will you provide me with any information that you have about them so that I can find them? And I think she started crying. She gave me everything. And to receive a fact like that, it was like the first picture I ever saw of my mom. It's a very surreal kind of experience that most people are like, are you crazy? What just happened? <laughs> you know, like half the time I, I had to pinch myself. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. But then we hear all these stories too, like, is your mom who she really is? So I was like, well, maybe we should take a DNA test. So at the time, DNA test in 2001 it was very expensive. I mean, and it wasn't just like a $59 DNA test that covers everything. Like I had to pay for DNA tests for just my mom's swab and me to be tested. And then another one to think with another sibling and then another sibling. So I think, you know, I spent probably like almost $2,500 per test. And then I had to do multiple tests on everyone. So it was a lot of money to spend mm -hmm. on DNA verification at that time. As far as negotiating the relationship, it, it is a little challenging because I also had to negotiate with, you know, my adopted mother's feelings regarding my search because some people start to feel like, you know, if you go out and search for something, you're trying to replace them or like find something better than them. So it becomes like negotiation. It's not about you. It's about for me that I need to do this. So if you don't have like a better understanding of what your purpose is, it can um, hurt people's feelings through the whole process. Through DNA testing, she also discovered that her and her siblings have different fathers, which opened up a whole lot of other questions that they were not ready to explore. After going through her own journey, Trista wanted to support others going through a similar one. In 2003, she started a volunteer-based nonprofit organization called Operation Reunite. And if you don't have the support group, it can be traumatizing. One of the biggest factors with uh, people that are adopted out of their family and brought into another family is it's called trauma when, when you get separated. And then when you actually go back into and start searching and finding it re-triggers that trauma because it's something that it's been so deep inside of you. It takes like all of your strength to actually come to terms with it. And that's really why I started the organization to provide that support. And then as we've uh, progressed 
were working towards other goals in addition to just supporting, but actively uh, testing with DNA and expanding the database so that there's more Vietnamese people that can reunite. You know, the process has continued to evolve, but we've never been able to get enough DNA tests with birth mothers. And it has a lot to do with timing, the politics, you know, money, funding, so on and so forth. The importance is that you take the autosomal test. And the autosomal test is the one that's the, the, the newest. And it's the cheapest to do because then you basically just swab your cheek inside and then place it in a vial and send it away. You know, especially in Vietnam, that might be a little bit more complex to translate to Vietnamese women. So we try to, you know, go there and test them. But the more that we get the word out that there is a DNA project that helps to reconnect you, the more that we can help assist, whether they do it on their own or we coordinate a larger project to collect test sampling. And and also, not only does it search for a father and mother, it also searches for up to like four or five generations. So like aunts and uncles can provide details and information that the parent is still alive or a half sibling. So the the DNA test is much more powerful than it used to be where you had to do individual tests to do the sampling just by a simple swab, find somebody in the database that connected to you. But when a country gets locked down and you're evacuated out, you know, you just don't even know what's going on. It's chaos. And some people, you know, eventually move on and then they pass away. Trista's goals are not only to help administer free DNA testing, but to also share her own experiences and the importance of building a support system. It's a process of understanding, and some adoptees aren't ready to go through this journey, and others are, but it's it's a matter of gaining clarity and knowledge. I asked Trista what advice she would give to other Vietnamese adoptees that are searching for their birth families. They still have hope. You know, um, one of the things that my my mother said to me when we found each other, and, you know, she's uh, up in heaven now, um, was that she felt like she won the lottery when we were able to reconnect. And it meant more to her than winning a million dollars. And I know of so many stories, um, not just Vietnamese adoptees, but people that have been um, disconnected through war and tragedy in general that this vehicle can really not only connect you with an adoptee person that you lost, but maybe even a a member that was uh, separated by the war in general and help heal some kind of tragedy that was unavoidable. Trista's journey continues to be an inspiration to many, especially during times when we may start to give up hope Her story reminds us to keep going. Operation Reunite has had to take a pause during the pandemic, but Trista is planning to run community DNA testing again soon. To get more details on Trista's story, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under episode 32. 
And a shout out to Darlena Cheem, our associate producer on this episode. This concludes our season four, The Search. On behalf of our entire Vietnamese Boat People team, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in during the pandemic. We are so grateful that you make time to listen to these stories with us. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please, take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.